This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Do you ever scroll through social media and come across a person and think, I want that. I want that life. It's actually a bit of a rarity for me because the life I'm trying to build is something I, I rarely see. When I do, it can sometimes be hard to remember that I'm not seeing the whole story, to remember that I have no idea what it has taken for that person to get where they are and build what they've built. A friend of mine, Connor Wakefield, who we mentioned later in the interview, introduced me the night before opening day of deer season here in Iowa to John Mulligan. John is a photographer, entrepreneur, multiple times over, family man, and diehard bow hunter. I only knew John from Instagram and was stoked to meet him in person and learn from someone whose lifestyle tugs at my heart and lights me up. If you're looking to make your passion into a business and a way of life, this one's for you. I'm Steph Busenbark. This is episode number six, Work More Hours. So I am John Mulligan. I am a resident of Southeast Iowa, uh, photographer, bow hunter, outdoorsman, probably prefer tents over houses, um, <laughs> but I do like a hot shower. So that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> Perfect. That's yeah. like simple and like to the point. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> yeah. So my favorite shirt of all time, a buddy of mine, um, there's a company called Adventure Harder uh, Hunt Tags. Um, but he has a shirt that just has a picture of a tent on the on the front of it, and then it says mobile home. And I'm like, that's the most rad shirt ever. Yeah. I wear it all the time. Yeah, that is that is a rad shirt. I want that myself. I um because this is like so spur of the moment, mm-hmm. I'm not sure which way I wanna go with this. Wherever you go. At all. Yeah. So you go down a wormhole, I'll follow. 
Yeah, so I want to know how you got into what you're doing right now, like where that started. Um, basically, so I'm a former police officer from Kentucky, and at that time, um, I had never, I wasn't a hunter. I didn't grow up a hunter, you know, and where I, where I grew up from in Kentucky, central Kentucky, we just didn't have, there wasn't a lot of whitetails. And, you know, we had the normal raccoons and possums and squirrels and that kind of stuff. We just didn't have white-tailed deer in that area. So when I moved to northern Kentucky, one of the guys that I was a cop with, he basically came up with this idea. And he said, hey, let's uh, let's be deer hunters. <laughs> and he was from Texas, so I think he had a little more experience in it than I did. And uh, I didn't know anything about it. I just thought, oh, what the heck? Okay, sure. I mean, it sounds like fun. You know, I, I would be interested to learn, you know, learn learn about it more. So to kind of age myself, I'm 41, and I went to the public library and checked out a bunch of books on, like, white-tailed deer hunting for dummies, so to speak. I don't think they had those at that time, but, you know, that was the kind of book I was buying or renting, and just white-tailed deer 101, hunting tips and tactics. And, you know, I threw in a couple of outdoorsman, you know, type books with an outdoor survival. I thought I had this thing in my head that I was going to go out and hunt whitetails and fall on a cliff and have to, like make my own crutches in the timber and all that kind of stuff. But anyways. Can you make your own crutches? No, I, mean, I can't. No, I feel like no, it's a I'd be screwed. Skill. I'd have to hop or crawl. Um, <laughs> so we get into it, and I started rifle hunting in Kentucky. Um, and then after a couple of seasons, I, you know, I just, it wasn't as much fun anymore. Um, but I knew that I really enjoyed, you know, whitetail hunting. So a buddy of mine says, you need to get a bow. I think that that's the key element. I think you're the type of person that wants to really make it a challenge and, and get up and close with those animals. So I ended up getting a bow. Uh, first time I went hunting with it successfully, that was it. I was hooked. And hunting was always that release for me. Doing, uh, being in law enforcement and undercover, it's not like I could go to the local watering hole and hang out with my friends. Yeah. You know, for a lot of years I was Sean Mullins. I wasn't John Mulligan, you know. So... I would go hunting by myself and that was the only thing I could do to get away from everybody and nobody knew who I was, so to speak. And I ended up going to a couple of hunting shows as I wanted to learn more about the industry and what other guys were doing for hunting and how they were getting better, you know, at their skill sets and stuff. And I met, uh, I met a guy named Todd Prignitz, a former business partner, later became a former business partner, but he had a company called Wicked Tree Gear. He had a folding handsaw, and it was used for, you know, cutting branches, whether you're hunting or camping or hiking or whatever. And he was also producing a, a DVD series called White Knuckle Productions. And so we met. Um, my business side, I wanted to get involved with Wicked Tree Gear from that standpoint. And I became a dealer. Then I was a sales manager. And then I ended up purchasing part of the company from him. And I had also started filming my hunts for his hunting show. And the hunting show was kind of different at that time. It was one of the very few ones that showed shed hunting, scouting for deer, food plots, mineral, trail camera, hanging tree stands. And it you know, kind of went through more of an educational side. And at that time, there wasn't a lot of hunting shows that were doing that live entire season. You know, you turn on your local hunting network, all you see is soon as the show starts, well, we're in the tree today and we're hunting. You're like, well, how'd you get to there? Why are you there? How did you pick that spot? You know, yeah. what's the history of the farm? You don't know any of that. Right. And, you know, you would just see 15 to 20 deer get shot inside of 12 minutes. And you're like, wow, I have a heart attack, but I didn't really learn anything. So it was unique and, and I like to be a part of it. 
Um, ultimately, we ended up selling our saw business. And then um, the more I filmed, I started noticing that I liked photography a lot more than anything. I truly believe that a picture is worth a thousand words, 100%. And so I started getting into doing the, the, the short films side, more of the backstory documentary style of yeah. something um, for hunting. And because, trust me, I love shooting animals. I'm, I mean, I'm a, heart, I'm a hunter, I'm a carnivore. Like, I, I do like the hunting aspect. Um, but for me, hunting goes much more beyond that. You know, it's that journey of getting there, why you're there, and especially if you develop history of an area or the animal in particular, it kind of adds to it. I mean, it's not just a bloodthirst, you know, type activity. Um, so those short films got to be something I wanted to get involved in. So we separated and I started my own web series and, you know, naturally in the industry, um, you know, you do some co-marketing and co-branding with other companies. So I started doing some photos and working on my photography and that kind of stuff. And then companies started reaching out to me like, hey, we'd like to hire you to do photos for this or do photos for this project. Um, now, um, fast forward to today, um, my full-time job is a photographer. Um, I also have my hunting show, Arrow Wild TV. And then I also design products because I still like products and business and the industry side and I'm always kind of a tinkerer as far as like your gear. You can be more efficient or safer or something in the woods or faster. So um, I do some consulting and product development with another company that's involved in the out, not just the outdoor, but fire, uh, hunting, camping, you know, industry as a whole. Awesome. So that's where we are today. What are you tinkering with right now? Um, a backpack. Um so there's um, the company is a, a backpack company that's in Bozeman, Montana, and uh, we're uh, we're working on uh, constantly ever evolving different backpacks and straps and um, how many pockets they have and pocket locations for different occupations and stuff like that. Sure. So that's one of the things that um, that's kind of my big project that I work with on the side, which is very stark different, you know, than like just photography and, yeah. and hunting. Yeah. Um, but that's, I mean, it's weird to say that I love business and I geek out over business and products and seeing how businesses grow and evolve and market and create their brand and identities. Um, but I also just want to live in a tent. So it's kind of my yin and my yang that kind of balances me as a whole, basically. Yeah, that's yep. amazing. Um, I mostly knew about your photography, which is where mm -hmm. a lot of my interest came from because in some weird way getting myself back into the outdoors it yeah. actually started with my photography because yep. i was working a corporate job i didn't have time for anything else right, and then right. my hippie uncle um who taught me photography when i was young passed away that's a, he's and a good I, he was a good man then. he was a good yeah. man yeah. yeah and um i went up to wyoming and took a bunch of pictures of mountains and everyone's uh -huh. like take pictures of my toddlers and i was oh, like oh yeah. yeah it happens yeah. yeah yeah and then i found i love you know i love people but uh -huh. it was way more fun for me to take more of the outdoor related photography and then it just then I got a bird dog, and then I just threw myself back in. Yeah, and figured yeah, that out. So yeah, that's awesome. I can really appreciate that story. A camera a to a bird dog—that's a big jump. Yeah, I would have gone like camera to like a house plant. Yeah, <laughs> make I sure I can handle that. Plants. Yeah, you just went full send on it. Went ahead and went for the bird dog and everything. You're ready yeah. to roll. Yeah, that's cool. Thanks. Um, as far as bow hunting, is mm -hmm. that like primarily what you do now? Only. Yeah. Only. Yeah. Only. I don't. Uh, I don't hunt with guns at all. It's been. 
Oh, where are we looking at? Nine years? Ten years? Since I've shot anything with a gun. And and why? Um, like I said, it just it comes down to that challenge. Um, and, and this is not a knock at all uh, on rifle hunters, shotgun hunters, muzzleloader hunters, or anything like that. If I... If I was to harvest uh, a whitetail at 200, 300 yards with a you know high-powered rifle, there's a very good chance that that deer had no idea I existed on planet Earth. But with a bow, there's a lot of other things that that come into play. Um, most bow hunters, you know, uh, participate in some kind of conservation. Most bow hunters I know will do some food plots. Um, most bow hunters run more trail cameras and, you know, are, are I hate, to, I don't want to say woodsman because as soon as I do, there's a rifle hunter that's going to say, hey, I'm a woodsman. Yeah. There is lots of woodsmen out there. I'm not identifying. I'm just saying it seems like there's a larger percentage um, because it is tougher. So you do got to get more intimate, you know, with those deer and get closer, get into their bedding areas and, and really get their core movements because effectively most people will tell you, yeah, I shoot 100 yards with my bow. I would say the average whitetail kill, I'm going to say it's probably 14, 15 yards. I mean, that's going to be the largest percentage, under 20. Um, but, I mean, it, granted, it does happen, like out west. You sure. know, there's a lot farther shots that yeah. need to get taken and often do. But um, I guess that's the thing with me with archery. It just... I've played with guns long enough in my life. I don't want to play with gun. I don't. I don't want to play with guns anymore. I just. I like the bow. Um, there's more things that can go wrong, so it puts it more pressure on me. It's just. It's always seemed like it's more of an accomplishment for me personally if I can take one with a bow. Yeah. Well, you've got more that like more to lose. Sure. Too. Yeah. I mean, you put more in. I mean, not to say that there yeah. are yeah, gun yeah, hunters yeah. that don't put a lot into what they're doing. Yeah, that's but, right. Um, I totally agree. I yeah. like to, I, I do uh, shoot muzzleloader every mm-hmm. year and mm-hmm. I pheasant hunt, I upland hunt. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I'm primarily bow right now. Uh-huh. My goal is to get the turkey grain slam with my, with my bow. Yeah. So that's, that's an, that would be, that's a serious accomplishment. Yeah. What's your, and you just had a serious accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I went up to Ontario, Northwest Ontario on a bear hunt and this is my first bear hunt, black bear hunt ever. I, I didn't really know what to expect and, um, but I love Canada. I love that whole Northwoods. Um, I love the scenery, you know, that's bush. That's not timber. That's just bush. You know what I mean? It's just super thick and cool. But I was up there on a black bear hunt and didn't, uh, didn't end up harvesting a bear on my first trip. And I could have stayed, but my time ran out because I had a photo shoot in Alberta to go to. And then I had a photo shoot in Kentucky to go to. And then I finally got to go back to Ontario and made a second trip up there. And um, I left I left Iowa at 9 p.m. with a buddy of mine, Taylor. We drove through the night. He chatted my ear off and kind of kept me awake and between supplementing with, you know, rock stars and monsters and stuff like that. But we rolled into camp at like 2 p.m. the next day, um, laid down, took a, took a small nap, and then got up, shower, scent free, went into the bush, hung a tree stand, um, and ended up shooting my first black bear. And I knew he was a big bear. I didn't know how big of a bear he was. I mean, you know, I thought, well, he's over 400 pounds. You know, that's cool. 
And then we walked up on him, and he just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, we ended up getting him back to camp, and it turned out that he was uh, on the scale. He measured 515, but the, that same scale also said that I weighed 190. <laughs> I haven't been below 200 in a while. So uh, theoretically, we think the bear is probably 540, 550, yeah. somewhere around there, which is I, a very, very, very large black bear, you yeah. know? Yeah, I just saw a picture of it. Yeah. And I very much believe yeah. all of that. Yeah, just a humongous, <laughs> humongous, you know, bear. And, um, and then the way bears are uh, scored – uh, other than the 150 pounds of meat that I did get to bring back to Iowa with me that's in my freezer waiting to be processed. But um, when we pulled the cape, uh, we got his, his, the cape off of him, and then we actually pulled the cape, the skull out. Um, in the scorebooks, they measure by the skull because a bear can be any weight, you know what I mean, just depending on a diet. Sure. The skull is what's the determining how they determine the score, you know, of a, of a bear unlike the antlers on a whitetail. So um, his skull is enormous. We don't have the exact score because it goes through a period of drying and things like that to be officially scored. But um, he's he's going to go up there in probably the top 10 uh, archery black bear hunt. So That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty surreal, I mean, to think how many bears have been taken in Canada, Yeah. you know, over yeah. the years. And... Um, I hear I would have been content with a 250 pound black bear. You know what I mean? Like that no, would have been great. I know great. what you mean. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I'm like, man, that's a lot of meat. That's a cool experience. It's a cool hide. You know what I mean? I got to do the hunt and see the scenery. Um, I never in a million years was thinking that that's what I was going to get. And um, the right place at the right time. I mean, just I zigged when I should have zigged instead of zagged. And it all just worked out. And, and I got to be the lucky guy that day. Yeah. Were you shaken? Um, after after the hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fortunately, in my previous life, um, that got my nerves pretty much sealed away. I'm I'm pretty good. <laughs> um, but after the hunt, that's when you start to realize like everything that happened. I mean, you know, this year alone, I lost um, I lost one of my best friends, a former best friend, former business partner. He passed away. I'm sorry. Um, Appreciate it. And um, my executive uh, director of marketing job, the company decided to fold up. And so I got laid off. Um, that all happened in the same week. Uh, oh. So that was kind of a rough week. Um, and that's kind of when I said, okay, chips all in. I'm full-time photographer. That's how I'm paying my bills now. And fortunately, enough people have liked my stuff that I've been able to stay gainfully employed and yeah. <laughs> keep my head above water this year. But, um, so that's, that's worked out. And, um, you know, going up there and being unsuccessful, of course I was kind of let down and then being gone for a month and a half traveling, doing photo shoots, I was exhausted. And I'm like, you know, of course you start thinking to yourself, like, is this really what I'm meant to do? Like, you know, I'm taking a lot of photos. Is this going to pay off? Am I going to, you know, be able to make a living doing this? Um, and then driving through the night, I was, I was dead tired. I could feel myself getting ready to come down with a cold just from yeah. being, your body's shutting down, you know, being so exhausted. Um, and then shooting that bear was like, wow, this is amazing. A huge adrenaline spike. And then people are like, 
this thing's 550 pounds. You may have just set a record, you know? And then it was like, whoa, whoa. And then, you know, then it was like whole body was shaking. And, and uh, I got back to Iowa. The whole round trip was 72 hours from my driveway back to my driveway. And I slept for about 18 hours when I got home. It was like, finally, my body just, yeah. that's it. You're done. Time to shut down, you know, reboot. Do you think that was like your favorite hunt of all time? Um, you know, I'm, I've never been a person that chases the record book, so to speak. It's just always kind of a bonus if you should, yeah. you know what I mean, do that. Um, I've been very fortunate that I've, I do have two different Boone and Crockett animals that I've taken, you know, in the last two years, uh, with my bow, three years with my bow. Um, I don't think that was my highest moment though. Um, my highest moment was, was a whitetail. I mean, I'm still a white, I mean, whitetail hunter. I mean, that's, that's me. All the other animals are fun. Um, you know, I, I told a buddy of mine the other day, when I look at hunts, I don't look at so much what animal I'm chasing, but where I'm going and what's the environment and is there a new culture or style of hunting that I can learn from it. And that's, that's cool to me, you know, like, there's so many hunts that I want to do. I want to do caribou. I want to do grizzly. I want to do something on Kodiak Island, you know, brown bears or something because I want to go to those places. You know, the most epic thing about a cool, a cool thing that you do is usually the cool spot you did it in or the cool place you did it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the people, you know, that makes yeah. a big difference too. But so, um, yeah, even though the bear is probably my biggest record book accomplishment, that stuff doesn't mean that much to me. So it probably wasn't my favorite hunt, um, but maybe one of my favorite locations. Awesome. Yeah. I'm going to put this at the end of the podcast, but I ask everybody this mm -hmm. at the end. So what's your next adventure? Uh, for right now, we're starting some planning for, uh, for 2020 uh, New Mexico elk. Um, I am going to return to Montana next year and chase antelope again on public land with my bow. Um, and I'm also looking at a mule deer hunt as well for next year. So next year is going to be it's kind of a Western theme. I'm doing going to do several several trips out West next year. Awesome. This is like all my goals. So yeah. I'm just like, I'm just yeah. daydreaming now. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess uh, for... You, you're, a fam you're a family man, uh -huh. right? Yep, yep. So with everything that you're doing and traveling and uh -huh. hunts and everything that you're trying to build, like how does that all work together? It's, it's a neat, it's a neat, uh, dynamic, um, extremely fortunate. You know, my wife, she understands, uh, my schedule. She understands my drive. She understands that passion, you know, that I have for this. And she's always been very supportive because I think ultimately, even when we met, she knew right away that if I'm not doing exactly what I want to do, I'm probably not the best person, happy person to be around. You know, I always think I'm at my best when I'm at my best. You know what I mean? I do. Um, so she's been very fortunate. Um, I've been very fortunate that, um, you know, she, she allows me to do what I do. But don't get me wrong. Like, if I've been gone for a couple of weeks, I'll get that look. And she's like, <laughs> Friday. 6 p.m., dinner and a movie, like, you're here, you're not going anywhere, turn your phone off, you know, kind of thing. So um, she puts me in my place every once in a while, and we've got a 17-year-old that actually just started college this year. She's a little smarty. She skipped a grade, so she got to start college early, and and then we've got a 13-year-old and an 11-year-old, and they're both boys, and 
Um, I'm trying really hard not to force them into the outdoors and hunting. Um, I hope it becomes something that they naturally start to come to me for. Um, but when they're not in earshot, I mean, there's been numerous times I've talked to buddies and I've made comments. I'm like, what am I doing wrong here? Like if these kids would listen to me and take all of the things that I've learned over the years of hunting in the outdoors and they started applying those now as 11 and 13 year olds, holy crap, the amount of deer that in the places that they can go and the things that they can do and they just, you know, can discover. Cause I got into hunting late. I mean, I was 21 years old before I ever shot my first legal animal. I think we probably shot some groundhogs and stuff from the farm trucks when I was a kid, but yeah. I didn't I didn't get into hunting until I was 21. So I'm like, man, they're a let, you know, my youngest is 11. I'm like, dude, you got a 10-year head start on me. Like yeah. start hunting now. You know. Do they have any like are they cautious about the whole animal killing thing? Um, no, it's not so much of that. Uh, they enjoy shooting their bows. Um and it's video games. Like, yeah. it's just, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they're like, ah, really? I want to play a video game. Like, I don't want to get up early. Like, if hunting started at 9 p.m. and ended at <laughs> noon, they'd probably be all about it, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, I know my 13-year-old, He, I, I took him out one day last year, and we just sat in the ground blind. I thought, man, we're probably not going to see much, but I'm just, I need a little, you know, man time with my with my oldest dude, you know? And we were sitting in the blind, and we'd only been out there like two hours. He got cold, so we had to come home. But I'm like, well, what'd you think? And he goes, well, we saw four turkeys or four hens, one tom. Um, we saw like seven does and two two small, you know, small bucks. But one was a six and one was an eight. And he's like, I don't know, it's kind of boring. I'm like, son, you have no idea. If that was my day every two-hour block, like, I'd be ecstatic. I'm like, it never happens quite like that. I was like, the only thing we were missing was, like, a fox oh, or a coyote. No. Um, so I, I'm kind of bummed because I'm like, if that didn't get him fire, you know, fired up, I don't, I don't know what will. But um, they, they've been on recoveries, and, and they've seen me shoot animals before, you know, um, like I said, it doesn't bother them. It's just not their not their bag, you know? Yeah. Hopefully someday. Yeah. Well, I think that looking back, if it's not their bag when they get older, I'm pretty sure that'll mean something to them. I, so. You know, well, and I, I did a short film um, a few years ago. It's called Work More Hours. And there's a piece in the short film where it's a heavy narrated piece. And, and I make the comment that um, I don't know if my kids are going to be hunters. Yeah. Um, and if it's not something that they do, it's something that they're going to respect. And and I say the line, and they'll know why it is I work so many hours. So work more hours has kind of been one of those, uh, like a mantra. Is that right? Is that the right yeah. way to say that? Yeah. Sure. It's, it's kind of my own little personal mantra where when I was a kid, I asked my dad, I said, you know, how do you make more money? And he said, work more hours. You know, there's no get-rich-quick schemes. There's no shortcuts in life. And if you do take a shortcut, it's not going to be organic. It's not going to be worth it, and you're not going to appreciate it. So just work more hours, um, you know, and the, one of the first persons that comes to mind when I think of that, who's doing it every day, the same way I have been, you know, is a friend of mine, you know, you know, Connor Wakefield. And like, he has that same drive. Like I, I look at him and I'm like, like literally the dude is me 10 years ago. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, he's grinding, he's grinding. And I think that's how you get ahead. You just have to work more hours. And it's not necessarily a competition to outwork that guy. Just outwork yourself, you know, do more. 
when did you get into photography? Um, June of 2015, July, July of 2015, I went to Best Buy and literally walked in and was like, I want your best Canon camera that you have. And at the time he's like, ah, oh, it's a Canon, you know, 5D Mark III. And I'm like, I'll buy it, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> and I need a good lens. And I was like, yeah. the guy says, oh, you probably ought to start with a 50 millimeter prime lens, you know, and just force yourself to make that work. Yeah. Uh, get good at that. Um, and go from there. So the reason why I purchased a camera, uh, I had never owned like a point and shoot camera before. I, I didn't have a Polaroid. I didn't have any of that crazy shit. I mean, I might've had one of those Kodaks back in the day with the flash and you yeah. crank, 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 crank. <laughs> You're like, Oh, we only got 23 shots left. Better hurry up. You know, I think I had one of those when I was a kid and I don't know what I took pictures of probably of, you know, I was a eight, nine years old. So I was probably taking pictures of girls in bikinis on vacation or something, you know, something stupid. But, um, I ended up getting this digital camera because I was, uh, had beginning a relationship with a company called Sitka in the outdoor industry. And a lot of their branding and marketing was heavy in photography. You know, they were really one of the first companies in the industry that was putting that out there where you would look at a picture and it wasn't like a, it wasn't a dead deer but it was a hunter and he's smiling or it's a hunter and he's, you can just tell he's miserable. Like he's in the <laughs> elements, you know what I mean? Like he yeah. literally is getting his ass kicked in this pursuit of his adventure, whether it was a hunt or to climb a mountain or whatever it was he was doing. Um, and so it, like I connected with that. You know, I, I could see a picture. And I'm like, I don't even need to read the caption. I know what's happening here. Right. So I wanted to start to take pictures and tell those stories yeah. without having to say anything. Um, so I just kept tinkering and tinkering with it. And I watched a bunch of YouTube videos. And, you know, lo and behold, like, photos started getting a little bit better and a little bit better. And then people were like, wow, like, that's that's good. And I'm like, it is, you know. Yeah. Um, so that was the first camera that I had, and I just kind of self-taught, um, and then it kind of evolved a little bit, and when I started working with other companies in the industry, you know, they were liking, you know, the pictures, and hey, we'll pay you X, or we'll give you X, or whatever, to work with our brand, and, um, you know, in exchange, we want 10 photos, you know, of... Um, and, you know, then I started seeing these pictures show up in their product catalogs and in their brochures. And then you start seeing them in magazines and, you know, stuff like that. And then that's kind of when it started to sink in. Like, I've got a lot to learn mm -hmm. and there's a lot of really, really good photographers out there. But maybe I'm starting to catch on. You know, maybe my pictures are okay. You well, know everyone's what I mean? perspective is different, right? And you're out there doing the thing. So, sure. you know, like, I mean... The way that you view the world's different than everybody else, exactly. right? Yeah, and I think you know I have a little bit of a different perspective, um, because of a sales marketing background um, in products and developing products. I think a lot of my photos will depict like a feature of that, you know, how that feature is being used, you know, in the field, um, and that's kind of what I'm naturally drawn to. I mean, sure, I can do the landscape shots and I can do the uh, Northern Lights pictures and all that kind of stuff. And I like them and they're fun. But to me, that's not like, that's not what sets me apart or that's not what I get identified with a lot. People are like, oh, you know, it's like whenever there's an actor like Denzel, 
he usually is the same character in every movie. Sure, it seems like yeah. he's kind of typecasted, you know? Yeah. Um, so it seems like that's kind of my thing. Like people are like, ah, oh, if you need product photography, go to John, you know? Um, but if that's my space, then yeah, I'll just, I'll own that space and be the best I can at it. Yeah. I think, and you, you did video as well before, Mm -hmm. and I think something that's really hard for me as I get into, um, podcasting's a little, I guess, um, easier to be in the moment because it's just, it's just a conversation flowing where I've had a really hard time with the photography piece or Uh video piece when it's not like an assignment is to be in the moment and appreciate what's going on at the same time. So how do you do that? Or is that still No, it's tough because, um... You know, I do produce a video series, and there's been times where I'll do something that I'm that I'm doing, and I'm like, "Cool, I shot a bunch of cool photos of it." I'm like, "Damn it, I didn't video any of that." I'm like, "I really need to include that in in this episode to help tell the story," and I don't like reenactments. I won't do that at all. Yeah. If it didn't get caught authentically, then I don't want it to get captured at all. You know, yeah. um, so you almost have to pick and choose. You know, some days I have video days and some days I have photo days. Um, A lot of times I'm by myself with a timer or even if I'm with a buddy that's helping me, you know, press the shutter button, you know, I'll frame the camera and I'll set my settings. I'm like, hey, all I need you to do is I need you to hit hit that button a few (laughs) times Um, because I have this this angle and I'm like, in the way that I'm doing this, I think it'll it'll look cool or whatever. And um, so sometimes I do that. But again, I can't get that person to help me film. So like I said, sometimes you just have to pick and choose and, you know, document it how you, how you can and how you want yeah. it. And, um, done is better than perfect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, but if I, you know, if I had my choice, like if it was me, you know, you have to do one job outside. Um, I'm going to pick photos over yeah. video. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just more fun for me, you yeah. know, trying to frame the shot and, get ahead of the person and know what's about to happen, yeah. you know, so you can get those authentic, you know, movement shots where things yeah. are actually really, you know, happening in, yeah. you know, at the time video. I mean, like I said, video is fun, but it's not my, it's not my favorite thing to do. Yeah. No, I, I can, I can see that. Yeah. Video is really hard for me. Uh-huh. Like getting, like the audio is fun. Photography. Sure. It, you can kind you can pause that moment so yeah. you can take it in a little bit better. Yeah. 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 Video is, I don't know. It's another animal. It is. No, and it, and it takes a little bit. It's What I've always said is a good photographer can always be a good videographer because he already he has that eye, you know, mm-hmm. so he can correlate and, and pull double duty. A good videographer is not always a good photographer. Uh, actually, more often than not, people who are really, really gifted at videography a lot of times struggle with photography. Um, and I'm not really sure how that, why that is necessarily, but it's just a different, different style, different practice, different kind of deal. Definitely a different skill set, you know? Yeah. I went all in and bought myself like a few brand new GoPros. Yeah. And I went on this boundary water trip with my two girlfriends and, Uh um, I mean the the girls I hang out with were all a little rough around the edges and I, I just thought it would be like this epic girls uh, trip like everywhere we went we were right. the only group of girls that you right. saw yep. um out in the boundary waters of canada and minnesota and mm-hmm. i'm thinking this is it like this is going to be the start of my youtube channel because i have this like grand idea yeah and it was 
it turned out, there's some good, like, video, but it turned out awful because I didn't, like, I just, I was so in the moment and having the best time and I couldn't, I couldn't bring my, I couldn't remember to turn my GoPro on either on my head or my chest enough times to um, really get what I wanted because I was having such a good time. And that's what you see, like, the most epic cinematic hunting or outdoor industry films, they're not self-filmed. You know, it's... We're just going to have a couple of videographers that are not participants in the deal. And we are literally going to film everything as it's happening, you know, how it's happening. Um, that's how you get the best yeah. story told. Um, and that's the thing I hate about self-filming is I feel like at the end of the day, I didn't turn out the product that I ultimately wanted. Because there's just it's just it's almost virtually impossible to self-film that story. The only way, in my opinion, that's pulled off well is when you're doing a lot of GoPros mm-hmm. and it's a lot of, you know, in the face, those close up shots, because then you literally can film everything that's happening sure. right there. Yeah. Um, and I do like that style of storytelling. My personal style is always that a little more cinematic feel, Yeah. you know, and it's, it just, it's really tough to do self-filming, you know? Yeah. And speaking of that, in the mention earlier, Connor does a really good job. He's they, well, yeah. He's another guy that comes to mind that he does a really good job of self filming, telling his story, um, and his style is that rough cut story. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you know, it's him, and it's only him that's out there. Yeah. You know, and it's not that it's a bad style um, because it is its own style. You yeah. know, when you're filming yeah. like that. Um, it's going to be rough. It's going to be choppy. It's going to be cutty. And, but I mean, that's what makes it cool. Cause you, it's, you almost feel like you're there. You yeah. Know? I just, I think in the, um, I think it's a good topic cause the world we live in, everything is mm-hmm. just so like, there's so many resources out there and sure. I think people are becoming a lot more empowered to share what they got yeah. and tell, you know, talk about whatever that is, whether it's hunting related or yeah. not, just, yeah put it out there, but it's intimidating to put your voice and your face and Very much your so. opinions. I struggled with it for the longest time. Um, you know, a lot of it probably had to do with my profession, you know, being a police officer. Yeah. Like, I can't put myself out yeah. there. Um, and then even when I could, it just felt weird. You know, um, it's probably only in the last 18 months have I really just said, you know what, I'm going to be transparent as all get out. I'm going to put everything out there as it is. It's me and whatever, whatever happens, happens. You know what I mean? I was like, I'm not anybody special. So why not just put all the information out there? And I mean, I did a little Instagram story yesterday and was doing an interview about walking into a piece of public. And then I paused for three seconds and let the camera focus on the public land sign. So everybody knows exactly which piece of public land I was actually walking into I'm like, you know what? I mean, I'm not all about being secretive and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Have you gotten a lot more? Have you gotten a lot of criticism? Um, no. Well, I mean, actually, the opposite. I mean, I've gotten a lot of people that have reached out and they're like, "Hey, appreciate you being transparent." You know, yeah. like when we watch you on video, um, we can relate only because we listened to this podcast or we saw your last, you know, video and. Um, like, dude, I can, I, I know why you were so excited because of this and because of that. And, um, I just think it makes people more identifiable, you know, like you can relate, like your friends, you love when they tell a story, right? 
because you know your friend, you know their right. backstory, you know the struggle that they went through to get there, and they're like, oh my God, I just bought a brand new car, and you're like, oh, you've been saving up for so long, you know, and you finally accomplished the goal. It's kind of one of those things, like, the more transparent you can be through the hunting stuff, um, then people, they, they relate to you more. It almost, it feels like they're your friend. And I've had people reach out and say, dude, it's like, it's like, I know you. It's like, it's like, I, you know, like we're buddies, but we've never met before. Yeah. Um, so that, and that's super cool. It is a little trippy to meet someone you only like know through social media. No, that, that, yeah, that part is weird. Like some people are taller than I thought they were. or Some are shorter than I thought they were. Um, I get, I get, I thought I would be taller. So apparently I'm shorter than people thought I was. Um, but I always get, you're bigger than I thought you were. Um, so that's the other kind of, you know, trade off or whatever. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, it, it is, it is unique. Um, or the worst part is when you do meet somebody that you knew through social media and you're like, oh, well, like kind of a letdown. You know, like you're not as nice as I thought you were yeah. or, yeah. um, it, that seems to be the case or, but I don't know. I mean, I've met so many freaking cool people, you know, so many talented people that, um, I mean, I could go on and on and on about all the different people that have like, uh, motivated me to do more. You know, my buddy, Jason Matzinger, he's one that comes to mind. He's the one that got me into doing short films and wanting to tell stories and be authentic with your storytelling. He's kind of the king at that. Um, so, so, so many good photographers, Sam Soholt, um, Stephen Drake, Matt McCormick, Jordan Gill, like these guys are, I mean, they're just freaking amazing, you know, with the, the stories that they tell through their photos. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the other cool thing is looking at a lot of these people that you can relate to and, um, kind of helping you grow, you know what I mean? Like yeah. being inspired by them, you know, and, yeah. and I appreciate people that do hard work. And you know, I've always said, I don't have, I, I can not like somebody, but as long as they've got a good work ethic, I'll respect them and I'll be kind. You know what I mean? It may not be the person I want to hang out with, but like I judge people on work ethic. I always have, I mean, I'm an old, you know, Kentucky hillbilly that grew up in Lexington and we were farming as kids and, you know, my dad worked, you know, 24 hour jobs. Yeah. So I judge people on work ethic. Now you live in Iowa where they wear, yeah. they wear work as a badge of honor. So. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 The Southeast Iowa. I mean, there's a ton of farms around here. A lot of hardworking people around here. And, um, it's a, it's a neat, it's a neat spot. It's very laid back. It's very different than what I was used to growing up. Um, but the, the parks, the state parks, the water, um, the wildlife around here in this area, it's just, it's, it's phenomenal. You don't have to go very far and you can get lost, you know? Yeah. So you were mentioning a bunch of um, different photographers that mm -hmm. you respect a lot. Mm -hmm. And I really like the way that you approach that because I think something that, um, has actually like, if I get my mind in the right spot, it's actually been pretty good for me, but I think something really hard with, maybe this industry and mm -hmm. even photography specifically, it's really easy sure. to, um, you know, you follow other people for inspiration, but it's really easy to get stuck in what they're doing yeah, and no, not staying in sure. your lane. Right. Yep. So a good friend of mine, uh, a buddy of mine, Jeremy Myers, uh, when I first got into cameras and he was another guy that I went to with a lot of questions about some editing software and, you know, settings on the camera and he helped me a lot, but 
he said, the best thing you can do is find a photo that you really like and then try to duplicate it. Now, don't post it publicly or anything like that. Don't like plagiarize or copy, but try to take the photo um, and then edit it and to get it to match. It's no different than like doing a math assignment in high school. You ain't solving world problems, but you're just at practice. You know yeah. what I mean? That's what you're doing. So that was kind of what he taught me to do is he goes, now, as you do that, that'll force you to learn the camera, learn different settings, learn different editing techniques. And over the course of that journey, you'll find your own style. And I remember for the first year, I didn't really know what my style was. And it took a little while. Sometimes I was oversaturated. And then I went through this undersaturated phase. And then I went into a boosted clarity phase. And then I was lifting shadows and making everything look like I had shot it with a flash. And um, I went through a black and white phase, too. I, did, I remember doing that. Um, and then I ended up kind of settling into my own style. And, and I see it with other photographers. Sometimes I can look at a photo without seeing the caption and I already know which photographer, you know, took it. And sure. so I think I'm starting, I, you know, I'm kind of getting my own style of how I do stuff. And, um, and, and that's, what's so cool is it's like, we all, we're almost all using the same cameras. I mean, I can name at least three of the guys from that list that are, that have the exact same camera and the exact same lens as I do, you know? But it's so unique how every person will take a photo a different way. Yeah. Why is all of this so important Important to you? Um, well, the, the textbook answer is because of conservation. <laughs> um, that seems to be a very hot topic. I love public lands. I love conservation. Um, I support and work with several conservation groups. That's a given. You know what I mean? That's just the right thing to do anyways, to me as a hunter or a non-hunter. Um, that's, that's the right thing to, you know, to be supportive of. Right. Um, and a lot of times I think people look at public lands and they say, Oh, well it's hunting land. No, it's record land. It's camping land. It's hiking land. It's horse riding trails. It's wildlife habitat. You know, like it's so much more than just, you know, hunting ground. Um, I genuinely love the outdoors. I genuinely love uh, the outdoors industry from a hunting perspective as well. Um, the fact that I can make a living doing photos and doing videos within this industry is like, holy crap. You know what I mean? I just won the lottery. Yeah. Um, so I've been very, very fortunate for that. It's something that I don't take for granted. Um, you know, I volunteer time with the DNR. I teach the hunter safety classes um, twice a year here in Lee County. And that's just another one of those things I'm trying to do to give back and maybe get some more kids involved in the outdoors and get into hunting and stuff because it's kind of scary. Hunters do donate the most money. And as we lose hunter numbers and we're also losing our voice um, to get things done, whether it's it's wildlife projects or certain animal projects. Um, it's so cool when you see out west when they're putting in the water troughs and stuff like that for some of the animals out in the plains areas. All that stuff, like people don't realize where that money comes from. That comes from hunting license, you know, sales. Um, so like I said, even if a person is not a hunter, be supportive that Johnny Hunter over here just dropped his paycheck on a bunch of hunting license because he's helping pay for your ground that you went and camped on last week. So that's why I say, you know, it's, I think it's super important. People don't have to be hunters, but I think people should respect hunting. 
you know, uh, I hope that they do and at least value what it comes from. You know, it's like when I was a kid, I was a big snowboarder, you know, chain wallet and dyed hair and all that. <laughs> I had my etnies and my friggin', yeah, you know, yes. uh, my, my jeans that were covering my boots and all that, but like skiers and snowboarders, you know, it's like oil and vinegar. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, we all paid money to go to that ski slope that keeps that ski slope in operation. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of one of those things. Yeah. No, that's great. Yep. That's like the point of all of this for yeah. me. So that's yep. awesome. Where can people find you? People can find me Instagram. Uh, I'm a big fan of Instagram. I don't need to really necessarily see what grocery store somebody went to to get a sale on Oreos. Um, so I can stay off of Facebook a little bit. It's kind of a necessary evil sometimes with yeah. business, but Instagram's kind of my hot spot. Um, at Johnny Utah. Uh, so it's at johnny.utah.hunt. Um, and then likewise, there's a Johnny Utah Hunt official page on Facebook. And then I have Arrow Wild TV on Instagram and Facebook. And then just photography. Not as many hunting dead animals, uh, but it's Johnny Utah Creative is my photography business. I'm all over the place. You can yeah. Find, that's, yeah, those are, those are the hot spots you can find me at. You know? Perfect. Yeah. Now, thank you for joining me in this little cabin in uh, southeast Iowa. Yeah, this this is actually is a, this is nicer than my first college dorm and apartment, I assure you. <laughs> awesome. Thank you yep. so much. Thank you. How rad is this guy? Thank you so much, John, for the impromptu interview and showing up real and honest and inspiring the crap out of me. Also, a shout out to Connor for the intro. You can check him out at Whitetail Drifter on Instagram. You guys rock. Thanks for listening to the Woods and Waters Project. Until next time.